Welcome to the La Dolce Vita Show, a woman's guide to living a fearless and fabulous life. My name is Heather Pickin, and I am here to give you that winning formula so that you can get clear on your vision, stay true to your values, and break through those mental walls. Check out my free resources at heatherpickin.com. This podcast is brought to you by Fierce Femme Wine, a woman's wine that inspires dialogue for change. Visit fiercefemme.com. So let's get ready as we uncover the formula to your success in business, career, and fabulous life. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the La Dolce Vita Show, a woman's guide to living a fearless and fabulous life. And I'm really excited to have my next guest on because she's going to be talking about uh, yoga and connecting the wisdom to her practice and how we can really uh, resolve you know, situations like stress, uh, you know, with, with her philosophy. I'm really interested in hearing more about that. And let me share with you a little bit about uh, my next guest, Kelly DiNardo. Uh, she's a freelance journalist and author of several books, including Living the Sutras, A Guide to Yoga Wisdom Beyond the Mat, which I think is pretty interesting. Uh, she's also a producer, editor, and co-host of the Living It Up podcast and owner of, of Past Tense Yoga Studio in Washington, D.C. And she has written for uh, O, the Oprah Magazine, Martha Stewart Living, Health, the New York Times, National Geographic Traveler, and others. So Kelly, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Now, I have in my show notes that uh, you're going to be talking about how you found wisdom in the yoga sutras, okay? So you're going to talk about how yes. uh, you, you kind of found some witness, wisdom and guidance. Now, I'm going to be honest with you and everyone that's watching or listening. I, I really don't practice yoga. I've actually, um, I tried it once in my life and I said, oh, I can't do this. But I've heard the benefits and I want to <laughs> in mind. Maybe you'll change my mind by the end of the show. How does that sound? I think that sounds good. I bet you I can convince you. Ooh, I like that. I like that. You're a woman out of you know, challenge. Challenge. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Exactly. And so, so you talk about uh, the five off the off the mat yoga practices. Now, before we go into that, there's always a story. There's always a story how you know you <laughs> connected to yoga, like the inspiration. So I was wondering if you could briefly share the audience uh, how you came into this practice, why this is so important to you. Yes, absolutely. So I was working at USA Today at the time and training for my first long distance run. And I had had before that a very on again, off again yoga practice. And when I started training for this race, I became much more consistent in my practice. And like most people, I went to yoga to change something. In my case, I wanted looser hamstrings and to not be so tight all the time. But I see all of the other reasons that people stay on the mat. And at the time, I don't think I could have articulated it. It was in the beginning for a very long time. It was just a physical practice for me. 
but over time I started to recognize and see kind of the other, the other bits of it. And so my first words of encouragement for everyone out there who are like, oh God, yoga, I cannot touch my toes, um, is that you never ever need to do a down dog or step on a mat or stand on one foot to practice yoga. Really the practice of yoga as codified by Patanjali, who's this ancient yogic guru or teacher is very simply a practice to still the fluctuations of the mind. So if anyone out there feels like their brain jumps from thought to thought, um, then practicing yoga is just kind of calming those thoughts down and being able to focus on one thing and be in the present moment. And you can certainly do that through a physical yoga practice, but for some people, taking a walk in the woods is their yoga practice, and that is totally fine. I love that. So it really is about the philosophy of yoga for calming your yes. mind, aligning uh, your body to the energy. So I, yeah, so I would just say, let's, let's dive into it to talk about what those five off the mat yo yoga practices are. So you don't need a mat. You don't have to do the, the downward dog, which I appreciate. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so let me just explain. So the way that the, the yoga sutras explain yoga is that there are eight limbs or eight practices. And one of them is the physical practice. So we'll just set that one aside and not put any pressure on anybody to do pigeon pose or down dog. Um, then the first two, and there are all of these practices are geared towards, like I said, calming the fluctuations of the mind. The first two practices are known as the, the yamas and the niyamas. And that's basically the 10 commandments of yoga, though I hate the word commandments because it seems so dogmatic. But it's guidelines for how we should treat others in the world and how we should treat ourselves. And so whether or not you follow yoga's 10 commandments or their yamas and niyamas, or you create your own, I think what's important here is that we all have a moral code that we follow. And the reason that this is so important is that it keeps us grounded and it helps us make decisions. Kind of like having a business, having a mission statement, this is your personal mission statement, your personal rules for living in the world. Um, when you've got a decision to make, you can be like, oh, am I breaking my moral code? Am I sticking to it or not? Um, I, you know, I personally like the moral code <laughs> that yoga provides. Um, I don't think anything in it is uh, particularly um, out there. It's not asking a lot, you know, don't harm people, tell the truth sort of things. Um, but I think really that we should think very clearly about the list of virtues and the guidelines that we want to live in in the world. So that would be the first one. Awesome. Um, so the second, so then I third limb in yoga is the physical part of the practice because the idea in yoga is that you work outwards, slowly moving inward. So, you know, I would say um, if you don't want to practice yoga, then finding something physical to do, some way to move your body is probably not a bad suggestion. Um, but my actual second um, my second kind of practice for off the mat living in yoga is not one of the limbs. It is, but it's kind of encodified in different ways within yoga, and that is to develop a, gra a gratitude practice. So one of the things I think that happens a lot in life is 
many of us think when I have this or when I do this or I achieve this, I lose five pounds, I get that promotion, whatever it is, that's when I'll be happy. And what yoga tells us is that, and science actually, is that the exact opposite is true. And we're more likely to reach our goals when we can be content in the present, when we can be fully grounded in the present. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to recognize the abundance that we do have in our life. And I think the best way to do that is with a pretty consistent and regular gratitude practice. Um, kind of crowds out any of the negativity. So that would be my second one. Um, and then the third one is to cultivate contentment. So so how do you can do a practice? Um, research indicates that our social connection is actually the number one predictor of happiness. So I think really focusing on the people in our lives is another way to cultivate contentment and to really um, stay present in the moment. Living a life of purpose is another one. And so that brings us back to creating your moral code. I think when you have your moral code and you start to understand yourself and what interests you better, you can figure out um, what, where your passions are. And that um, can help you figure out your purpose. And then the last two uh, practices are actually limbs in yoga. Um, the, my fourth practice is, is to breathe. Um, if you think about how you breathe when you're angry or frustrated versus happy, it's really different. Your breathing is very shallow and erratic when you're frustrated and upset, whereas it's much more calm and lo it's longer and smoother when you're happy. And so very simply, if you're, you know, breath work is very popular right now, and there are tons of breathing exercises you can do for different things, but you only really need to know one, and that is to simply make your exhale longer than your inhale. When you do that, you trigger your parasympathetic nervous system, and your whole body just calms down. So if you, it can be as simple as inhaling for three and exhaling for five. Um, so remembering to breathe, which seems like a, you know, something we should be doing intuitively, it's actually not always that easy. Taking more control over that, um, it can be very helpful. And then the fifth practice for off the mat happiness is um, to meditate. And I will admit that I struggle with this one. This is my hardest one. And one of the things I found really reassuring in the Yoga Sutras is that the last three limbs are actually all meditation, but different depths of meditation. So even the ancient yogis knew that some days we were going to struggle to stop thinking about our to-do list and tapping our foot to be done meditating, and other days we would just fall right into it. And so um, I think that ultimately is what is going to help us kind of still the fluctuations of the mind and become more present in the moment. So those would be my five practices. And that, that'll help you practice yoga without ever, ever having to step on a mat. I, I love it. Yeah, you had me at, uh, you know, being off the mat. So definitely sold on yeah. that. <laughs> and I, I definitely appreciate, you know, we were talking about gratitude. That's something I definitely practice every day. Uh, meditation and the fact that you're yeah. 
you know, also explaining how the breathing impacts the parasympathetic system because I talk about the nervous system and how you actually have to rewire your brain if you want something different and how our, our nervous system, particularly yes. the, uh, uh, the, the sympathetic system gets triggered when we're in our free, I call it our freak out moment. We're in, we're in fear. So what you're saying is, you know, really having this, this practice that we do will allow us to slow down because I think now more than ever, we're living in a world, it's, it's so fast paced paced and people can't keep up with it. Right. And they're, they're all over the place. Right. Yes. I think you're hundred percent right there. Um, and it's amazing that something as simple as breathing and making your exhale longer than your inhale can trigger your whole body. I mean, it's amazing what the body can do and how it can regulate itself. And just these, there's some simple little tricks or hacks to, you know, make it more, efficient and relaxed and present. I, I like that idea, the whole idea of the breath work. So like, for example, let's just say if someone is speaking, you know, one of the number one fears people have is getting in front of an audience and that, right. you know, they start feeling like all the butterflies or if they have an interview like this, maybe it's their first time, uh, maybe walk us through right. that exercise right now in real time so that I, I want to feel absolutely of that. Okay, perfect. Okay. Well, if anybody out there is listening to this while driving, don't do the first part, but everyone else can do the first part, which is just to close your eyes and kind of take notice of where your breath is naturally. How does your breath feel? And now that you've got a sense of where your breath is at, sit up nice and tall or stand up nice and tall if you're moving around the kitchen and doing other things. And just stop and see how sitting up a little bit taller opens up the airways, opens up your breath, maybe helps make it a little bit deeper. And then take an inhale for one. Two, three, exhale, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, exhale, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, exhale, four, three, two, one, inhale, one, two, three, exhale, four, three, two, one. And then just let your breathing come back to natural and open your eyes when you're ready and just notice how you feel. Maybe it's a little bit less scattered and calmer. I love that. I, you know, I was doing that exercise while you were walking people through it. And I did notice yeah. how I felt, you know, just calm and paying attention to my breath instead of focusing yes. on anything else. So it's like, it really allows you to be present. And so when you're doing that, let's just say in this situation where you're about to speak on stage or maybe do an interview like this, you feel a little nervous. Right. Uh, would you recommend right. 
going through that same sequence because I think you took us what a total of maybe four times. Yep, four or five times. And so what I would suggest is about 10 breaths is about a minute. So that's it. That's all it takes. So anywhere from five to 10 breaths and you can do it before you're going into a big meeting at work or you know, before you're going into the grocery store on a Friday afternoon, which is going to be chaotic, or if your kid's giving you a hard time, you know, if you're giving a presentation, because all it does is calm the body down so that we can react from a more neutral place rather than this excited, anxious spot. I love it. I can, I can also see where it would be useful right before like a sales call. I know I coach a lot of yes. people on sales and to me, success always starts in your mind first. It's about connecting with yourself. Absolutely. And I would find that this would be really, really impactful. Uh, another situation I think this would be important in a, let's just say if you have a fight in a relationship. I work with a lot of women. <laughs> we work on their businesses, but all too often there will be issues in the relationship and all of a sudden they, they just get so freaked out. They don't know how to manage their emotions or energy, but doing something like this would really be impactful because they're not focused on that situation. They're allowing their uh, body to settle down. Absolutely. I think that's right. I think too, like this is the first step in meditation, right? People think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to meditate and my thoughts are everywhere and I can't control my thoughts. You don't have to control your thoughts in meditation at all. The, the whole point is to watch your thoughts and to say, okay, my brain just went to this thing I have to do. Let me bring it back and focus on my breath or focus on a mantra or focus on a sound. It, it can be anything that helps you focus, but your breath is really portable. <laughs> you take it with you everywhere. So you can use that to, to meditate on the subway or to meditate before going into a meeting. And, and again, you know, people I think think they've got to commit to an hour a day of meditation. Five minutes will do it. Three minutes will do it. So um, if that helps you calm down and start to focus, you know, it'll also give you clarity. So you don't have to just do that breathing exercise before a stressful or anxiety-ridden situation. You could, if you've got the three o'clock doldrums, maybe try that instead of a cup of coffee and see if it helps you focus. Mm, I, I love that. Not yeah. that I'd ever criticize anyone for coffee drinking. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like coffee. <laughs> yeah, we don't mess with it. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I realize the benefit of these practices. Now, my question to you is, okay, you've got, you know, you've got the strategies that you can do before a situation or when you get up in the morning to kind of prepave your day. What do you recommend with these off the mat um, yoga yoga? practices as far as you're in the thick of things you're in a conflict obviously you can't say okay wait a minute I gotta breathe well I think it's important for a lot of these I think it's important to um, go into 
time and really think about them. Like creating your moral code is not something you should attempt to do in the middle of a work meeting or, you know, I would take some time to really journal about all of that. And, and in our book, in Living the Sutras, at the end of each explanation about what it is they're talking about, we give journaling exercises and things so you can actually apply it to you. Um, my advice for people that cause conflict um, is actually not one of these practices, but it's probably my favorite yoga sutra. And that is the idea in yoga of cultivating the opposite. So Patanjali says, you know, we're supposed to wish basically puppies and rainbows to all the people that frustrate us, which is really hard to do. And so I find the, the way to do that for me is to think about something positive about that person who frustrates you. So um, my mom and I have can have a, we've had a very up and down relationship. Um, and so when we're in a not great place, I think all the time, my mom is the one who gave me my love for books and she is the reason that I'm a writer. And if I start to think about that, then I get less annoyed about whatever else it is we're, you know, bickering about. So if there's somebody in your work situation that you kind of dread having to deal with, if you can, and it's not easy to do, start with somebody who drives you just a little bit crazy and think about the opposite with them. And then somebody who drives you a little bit crazier and then the really difficult person in your life. But if you can focus on the positive thing that they bring to your life, it'll crowd out some of the frustration and negativity. So that's one, that's one tactic for, for dealing with people in conflict. Um, you know, the other thing that I would say, and this is actually not um, my advice, this comes from a fantastic writer named Michelle Gielen who wrote a book called Broad Broadcasting Happiness. We had her on the first season of the Living It podcast, and she suggests going into every... Uh, meeting with what she calls the power lead, and it is just starting things off positively. So when you know when you say to somebody, "How are you?" the common response is, oh, "I'm so tired. I'm so busy." Right? Whereas if you if you say, "Oh my God, I'm so great. I had this hilarious phone conversation with my bestie on the drive into work today." how are you doing? You are setting the tone for the meeting, for the day, for the entire encounter, and people are really likely to mimic that. So that's another way to kind of dissipate conflict too. So I, I love yeah. that. Very simple tips. I like the fact that, you know, you're kind of sending people love or puppy dogs or, you know, I've got two right. here. I'm going I'm to throw some imaginary chihuahuas at you and uh, shift that right. Um, you know, to me, it is really about shifting your energy on someone and letting go right. that person being in their ego and realizing we're, we are all connected, right? We are all connected on right. uh, some bigger level con uh, consciously. And uh, these people, these quote unquote challengers, whether they be your uh, mother, father, your client, your boss, we all Whoever. Have to be right. around those, right? In order to right. really Yes. Well, and I love what you just said that, you know, I think there are two really big lessons that I took from the yoga sutras. And the first is that there is this thread of 
some people call it divinity or good or something that runs through all of us, but we're connected to everything. And if you, if you remember that, and if you think that you're like, Oh, that person who's really difficult, we're still connected by in some way. I think that informs how you treat other people. And, and I think that that, that eventually gets mirrored back to you. And, and the other thing that I, I, the other big lesson that I think can be really helpful is that everything changes. I mean, everything changes. So this difficult person will not always be difficult or maybe not always be in your life. So just remember that no situation is permanent and that can, I think, give people a lot of solace. I love it. I love it. Kelly, this has been very impactful and the tools that you're sharing with us today are so simple yet so powerful. Anyone can use them and break through those Thank you. those limitations. And where can people learn more about your work, your books, and uh, you know what you're up to? Absolutely. So my website is kellygenardo.com and I'm on Instagram. Please message me. Happy to chat. And on Instagram, it's at kellygenardo. I love that. And we will put that in the show notes, whoever you're watching or listening to this. Uh, you can contact Kelly. You can follow her, grab her book. Uh, until next time, this is Heather Pickin and live fearlessly. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. So if you like what you hear on this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Interested in becoming a sponsor or learning more about leadership for women's performance using neuroscience or business coaching, contact support at heatherpicken.com. And don't forget to grab my latest book, The La Dolce Vita Formula, by going to fearlessandfabulousbook.com. That's fearlessandfabulousbook.com. Dot com.